I'm starting a new series uh, today called the Finding the Silver Lining. You've heard that before, I'm sure, that, uh, you know, in all of the clouds that we see, there's always a silver lining. And uh, sometimes life can make you feel like there is no silver lining. And uh, I'm sure that uh, many of us know what that feels like. Um, and uh, I, uh, I really feel like that uh, God has something to say to us today to help us, to encourage us, to, to give us wisdom and guidance and to lead us into what he wants. And uh, I love this passage in Psalm 112. In fact, I put, posted it on Facebook uh, this morning from a different translation than the one I'm reading from, but I'll, I'll read that back to you. But, you know, we finish there with verse 3, and it says in verse 4, Unto the upright there arises light in the darkness. He is gracious and full of compassion and righteous. A good man shows favor and lends, and he will guide his affairs with discretion. Surely, verse 6, surely he shall not be moved forever. The righteous shall be in everlasting remembrance. He shall not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is fixed. Everybody say fixed. His heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. His heart is established and he will not be afraid until he sees his desire upon his enemies. Now, one translation of this verse 7 is, goes like this. They will not live in fear or dread of what may come, for their hearts are firm, ever secure in their faith. Ever secure in their faith. I realize at times that we can feel like we live in the most difficult days that have ever been in history. Okay? We just can feel that way. It's like... We go through one thing after another thing. You know, this year has been, you know, I know people are like, I want 2020 over with. Well, you don't have any guarantees 2021 is going to be any better, all right? And, uh, you know, so, but, you know, just with the dealing with the virus, dealing with riots, dealing with economy, dealing with lockdowns, dealing with all the different things, the elections, all the things that have been going on. We can get to feel this spirit, and I felt like this this last week that uh, the Lord was saying to me that, that there's, there's something that's trying to get on people, and it's this dread. It's the, it's the dread of life, the dread of the next, when's the next thing that's going to be bad? What's the next thing not going to go the way I thought it would turn out? I can't take any more of this. And I want you to realize that, one, that is the adversary trying to work against your life. That is not God. God is not like creating all these things, trying to make all these things to prove a point. Okay? So there's two problems we deal with in our world, the devil and mankind. And both have done a pretty good job of screwing things up. Can I get a better amen? amen? Anytime man has gotten involved, they're going to mess up. I mean, it's just, you know, they're just going to mess up. So, you know, we just live in a world where, where there will always be these kinds of chaoses that are going on. You know, I, I, I was thinking back as a kid. I've, taught, I've shared this before. You know, when I was a kid in school, grade school, you were talking first, second grade, we used to have to go down in the basement and get on our knees on the floor and put our head between our knees and our hands over our head. And they called it nuclear fallout drill. Because there was such a fear that Russia was going to bomb, you know, the Soviets were going to bomb the United, you know, 
just blow us all up. Okay, let me just tell you, I don't care how big your hands are over your head. If there is a nuclear deal, that ain't going to stop it, okay? That isn't going to protect you. We used to do that. I mean, we'd have to practice that at school. And you could see in teachers' faces when they're trying to, you know, when they're trying to explain, why do we have to do this? Well, it's just a drill. Just do it. Don't worry about it. But you could see in their faces that they were really worried about that this could happen any moment that we could all. So, you know, uh, if you think back to our parents that, you know, my parents who are now in heaven, but their generation, they dealt with the whole um, missile, the Cuban Missile Crisis, where they didn't know, they didn't, they thought this was it. I mean, everybody thought that, everybody thought it was it. They thought the whole world was going to end. I mean, the, I mean those, those nuclear missiles were right off the coast. I mean, they were on their way, and we were in a stalemate. You go back in history and look at some of this. But there, there's been so many other things that have been horrible. I remember Kennedy when he was assassinated, how horrible that was. When Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated, the, the terrible things. I mean, this is in my generation. The 70s and 60s were horrible. They were absolutely, I mean, look, I know this all seems really bad, but, but look, that was, that was so bad for people. Because, I mean, we had a president killed. His brother was killed a little bit later on. I mean, you, you had a, a great civil rights leader that was murdered. You had Vietnam that was going on, and people were getting higher than kites and protesting against the wars, and free sex was everywhere. And, I mean, it was, it, it was crazy. This, look, if you lived during that time, you know today is nothing like that was. Okay, nothing. I mean, this is, this is a piece of cake compared to that. That was hard. I mean, I lived just a few miles from Kent State. I remember sitting there at my grandmother's house, and we're watching TV, and a news flash came up and said, do not go out on the streets at all. This is in the United States of America. They just assassinated Several, a couple of students on the, on the, they killed a couple of students. I mean, you know, I mean, it was a horrible, I mean, it was and protests and riots that happened and incredible. So look, we get this thinking like, oh my gosh, this is the worst days that we've ever been in. No, it's not the worst days. And I could take you back for Christians. Let's go to the first century Christian, what they dealt with the world they lived in. This Bible that we have here was written by a first century Christian. By the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about the, the epistles that we have. These guys, their lives were on the line every single day. Their church, they didn't have a constitution like we have. They couldn't gather to worship. Nero was out to kill them. I mean, it was... It was absolutely horrible. Many of them gathered with their children in jail cells and knew that their impending doom was to be thrown into a lion's pen and to be killed or burned on stakes. And many of them knew that. But yet, that was the first century Christian that wrote most of the New Testament that we read. So I think when we 
deal with difficulty. We have to get a God perspective. There always is a silver lining. And I called this message, First the Bad News, and uh, you probably feel that way right now, like, oh my gosh, I hope this gets better. But, you know, look, when somebody comes to me and they say, I got good news and I got bad news, you know what I always say? Tell me the bad news first. You know why? Because I'm not going to be able to listen to the good news real well while you're telling me the bad, tell, tell me while I'm thinking about the bad news that's about to come. So just tell me it. I'd rather just deal with it and then I can regroup and move forward. Amen? So the bad news. Life is hard. We're getting real tired of negativity in our world right now. People dying, jobs vanishing, economy, a nation that's divided. And, uh, you know, we can definitely, as I talked about last week, we can get sucked into it, unsettled, anxious. Uh, will life ever get back to normal? People are emotionally on edge. You know, it's very, very challenging. But let me tell you this, a negative outlook has never led to a positive life. A negative outlook has never led to a positive life. It just isn't going to happen. So I believe that what we have to do as God's people is, is that we have to be optimistic. Now, I'm going to talk to you about what optimism is, okay, because that's not a bad word. You know, you heard the story of the optimist and the pessimist. They both look at a glass of water, and it's half. One, the, the optimist sees it half full, and the pessimist says it's half empty. Which one's right? They're both right but one has a better outlook than the other does. And that's what we want to have, is a better outlook. Optimism is not a denial of reality. Everything is not good. You know, I know the Lego song says everything is awesome. Now, you have to have kids, to, grandkids to know what that is. But you know, everything is not awesome. It is not. And it's not always going to be awesome. But there will be moments of awesomeness. Amen? There will be times when everything is awesome. Optimism is not a denial of reality. Optimism is not blind faith, being naive or wishful thinking, or somehow thinking everything will work itself out. Optimism, here's what it is. It's confidence about the future or a successful outcome. Optimism is confidence about the future or a successful outcome. Optimism is the unwavering expectation. I want you to hear this now. The unwavering expectation that our loving God is working in every situation for our future good. Now, I didn't say God is causing everything, but God is working in the midst of it. See, a lot of folks somehow, we're starting to, we start feeling, that's what the enemy wants to do, the adversary wants to do in our lives is to make us feel we're isolated. It's on us. Yeah, there's a part that's on us, prayer. Amen. That's our part. But the miracle stuff that's got to happen isn't anything we can make happen. That's something that we have to trust the Lord for. And what we have to remember in the midst of all of this is, is that our unwavering expectation that, look, God cares about us. God loves his people. Hallelujah. He loves his people and he is working in every situation for our future good. I love what Philippians 1.6 says. It says, he that began a good work in you. Let me ask you, is, 
is the work over? Is it done? Are you finished? Is, it, is that it? Are you, done? Are you right now what you're always going to be? No, it's, that's not what it says. He that started a good work in you, he's doing stuff and he's going to complete the work that he started. God is a finisher, not a quitter. <clears throat> God's a finisher, not a quitter. And so when we look at God and we look at what God, that's the perspective, the mindset that the believer needs to have. Philippians chapter 1, verse 28, if you'd turn there with me. You know, Paul writes this whole book of Philippians to people while he's sitting in prison. I mean, he's, you know, he's locked up in jail. And while he's writing, he's writing the, this, the book of, to the Philippian church to encourage them while he's sitting in jail in just terrible conditions. And I want you to, I want you to see this in uh, uh, verse, um, let's start with verse 27 here. He said, let your conversation or your life, chapter 1, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. That whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit and one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Now, then he goes on and says, And in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. Now listen to this. This verse, um, the King James does not do justice to this verse. One translation, the Ben Campbell Johnson translation says it like this. Don't let your adversaries frighten you, for they will assume that you are a phony. Look, do you believe or don't you believe? Don't let your adversaries, you have an adversary. Don't let him, look, make you afraid. Because that'll just make him think you're just a phony. The courage you display will increase your faith in God, in God's ability in your life. The courage you display, standing up, that courage will increase your faith in God's ability. See, Paul's saying, look, it's tough. He's telling this Philippian church, guys, look, life is tough, but live the gospel. Live the truth. Live the truth. Let's remember that the role of the church is to establish the kingdom on earth until he comes. He said, occupy till I come. Our role on earth is to establish the kingdom. Here's how we do it. We establish the kingdom by winning people into the kingdom of God. Let's not forget our number one role in the church is to present the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Let's not let everything else take first place over that. Look, I don't care how bad or whatever we think's going on in this world, the worst day of your life is when you die without Jesus Christ. That's the worst. I don't care how, look, I don't care how bad it was here. If you lived in poverty all your life and in oppression, when you die, that oppression then on earth will seem like nothing compared to the eternity of what hell will be like. 
separated from God. That's why Jesus came, so that we could present life, so that not only could we be born again, but that we could present that born-again experience to our, to our world. And to make sure that we are not doing anything to take away from that. Don't be terrified. Don't let your adversaries frighten you, for they'll assume that you are a phony. Remember what it says in the book of Romans, chapter 12. It tells us neither life nor death, nor principality nor power, nor things present nor things to come. And he finishes it with saying, nothing will separate you from the love of Christ. The only thing that separates you from the love of Christ is you. Is you. To be optimistic is, is that we have an unwavering expectation that our loving God is working in every situation for our future good. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. It doesn't say God causes all things. It says God works in those things to fulfill a purpose. What is the purpose that God is trying to fulfill in your life, the purpose that God is trying to fulfill in the life of every believer, in every believer, is to be Christ-like. To be Christ-like. And that is the goal that God has in your life, is, is that you would be Christ-like, be Christ-minded, be Christ-thinking, Christ-living, Christ-acting, miraculous, faith-filled, relationship with the Father, praying, calling on the name of the Lord, speaking to the heavens, pulling down principalities and powers and rulers of darkness, establishing the kingdom here on earth. I wish I could get a good amen. amen. Don't be afraid. God is working in the midst, even when you don't. You know, we, we, uh, um, Don Moen sang a song years ago. We don't sing it anymore, but uh, it was so powerful. God will make a way where there seems to be no way. He works in ways we cannot see. God will make a way for me. He will be my guide. Hold me closely by his side. He will make a way. Don't you ever forget, God's making way for you. God's working. No matter what's going on in the world, what's going on in the world system, you and I have to remember that we are in the world. We are not of this world. That changed the day we accepted Christ. Now we're no longer of this world anymore. We practice and walk by principles that are of a different kingdom. Our, our mindset is of that kingdom. Our king is that king in heaven. Our guide in all things is him. You know, I talked to you about this back before. Um, you know, look, we do what the government says until the government violates scripture, then we do what God says. You say, well, pastor, what if you go to jail? Then I go to jail, great. I almost went to jail for a bunch of stuff that wasn't that good. I don't want to tell you about it, but I mean, it's just plenty. I, look, without God, I should have been in prison, no doubt about it. God will make a way. We have to have an unwavering expectation that we have a loving God. You know, the Bible says in the book of Proverbs that as a man thinks in his own heart, so is he. How are you looking at, now, now look, I'm not looking for answers. I'm just saying, how are you looking at your life? 
How are you looking at today, the rest of this year, your future? The life you have is a, is a reflection of the thoughts you think. It's a reflection of the thoughts you think. Life will pretty much turn out the way that you believe. And if you believe it's bad, it'll pretty much be bad wherever you go. And if you believe it'll be good, it'll be good pretty much wherever you go. You'll always find the silver lining, whatever you find yourself in. The quality of your life will never exceed the quality of your thoughts. The quality of your life cannot exceed the quality of your thoughts. You say, well, I thought if God said it, then that's what has to happen. Well, look, that's what, even though God said it, God gives us free choice. So here's the thing. You can choose to think any way you want to think. He gives you autonomy over you. You can't control anybody else. You can't control your neighbor. You can't control anybody else, but you can control you. You can't control anybody else's thoughts, but you can control your thoughts, how you're going to live. You're always going to be surrounded. That's why Jesus said, be careful what you hear. Be careful what you hear. Be careful the things you listen to. Mark 4.24, that verse where he said that, be careful what you hear. In the Amplified Version, it says it like this. Be careful what you hear. The measure of thought and study you give to the word you hear will be the measure of virtue and knowledge that will come back to you and more besides will be given to you here. So what that means is, is that if you hear something and you keep hearing it, it's going to produce something in your life. What are you listening to? What are you hearing? What are you talking about? What's the communication? Uh, Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, God told us to keep his book, the book of the law before us, to keep it in our mouths, make sure we're saying what he said, because he said, look, if you do that, you'll, you'll be prosperous and you'll have good success. I mean, that's what he said, because you'll do exactly what it says to do. Man, Pastor, this is really good preaching. See, what happens is when we become pessimistic about life and we become pessimistic, we, become, we begin to create a critically negative mindset. And here's what happens to us. What the pessimist, the critically mindset, the critical mindset tends to view negative events as personal and permanent. They tell you, have you ever met anybody like that? Anything you say, they take it personal. They say, uh, well, that hurts my feelings. Well, you've upset me. You've, I have family members like that. I mean, you, you, could, you know, they get angry. Our world is like this today. You say who you voted for, you made somebody mad. In fact, I'm going to tell you right now, no matter how this all works out, half the country is going to be angry. So somebody's going to be mad. Now, here's the thing. Don't worry about that. Worry about this. What's your mindset? Don't worry about that they're reacting that way. You, how are you reacting? Well, I take that personal. You voted for that person? I take that personal that you voted for... It has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with me. But see, that's what happens. We get in that critical mindset, and then the next thing is we're taking everything personal. I mean, there's a lot of stuff you're afraid, people are afraid to say today because they're afraid somebody will get mad. Wow. I didn't expect to preach that good this morning. No, I'm just kidding. I did. <laughs> I did expect to. <laughs> I 
I want you to look at Proverbs chapter 8 and verse, uh, verse um, 18 with me. Romans, I mean, Romans 8, 18. I'm sorry. Romans 8, 18. Man, I want you to see this. This is so good. Wow. Hallelujah. You know, I was thinking back yesterday about when, you know, when COVID got so bad and, of course, you know, everything was locked up and locked down and we weren't having church services except online. And, and uh, Sharon and I, I mean, you know, we're at home and, and uh, we, we had, I mean, we went to see our granddaughter for her birthday, had to stand outside a window. I mean, there was just all kinds of stuff that we were having to do that, you know, I mean, we absolutely, it was wearing us thin. And it didn't seem like there was any way this was ever, I mean, you know, you had, you had him saying, uh, so it's bad now, and then it might get better, and then it'll get better, but then it's going to be the second wave, and the second wave will be worse. And I mean, you know, everything was just like, oh my gosh. And I remember sitting in my study and just bawling my eyes out. I don't even know what was going on. I mean, it just over, it was, it was just overwhelmed, this overwhelming feeling of hopelessness. Anybody deal with that at all? I mean, that, or maybe I'm just talking about me, but I mean, and I know the Bible. I mean, I can quote the verses. I believe those words. I spoke those words. Sharon and I would say those words. She had moments where she'd sit in her office and just, oh my gosh, it'd just overwhelm her. But, but here's the thing, in the midst of all of that, we always came back to the truth. You got to get, look, emotions are a bad place to make decisions in. Don't ever make a decision based off emotion. Look what Paul said here in Romans chapter 8. Did you find it yet? Romans 8. He said verse 18. For I reckon, or I recognize, that the sufferings of this present time are not compared, are not worthy. If you write in your Bible, I want you to underline that word worthy. Are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us shall be revealed in us. So the other thing I want you to underline in your Bible there is the words in us. Now a lot of Christians have taken this verse, and a lot of preachers have too, that this is talking about when we get to heaven. But that isn't what he said. He said the glory that will be revealed in us. The glory that will be revealed in us. The present sufferings are not worthy to be, you cannot, don't compare what you're going through right now to the glory that is in... Don't compare what you're going through right now to be worthy a little bit, not even a bit, compared to the glory that is inside of you right now. Because that glory, that glory that is in you, that glory that's being revealed in you, the Christ that is in you, as Colossians 1.27 says, the Christ that is in you, the hope of glory. Look, whatever it is we're going through isn't even worthy to be closely compared with the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit that's been given to God's people here on the face of the earth. The access that we have to the heavens to pray and to call, 
Can I get a good witness in here to call on the name of the Lord? Don't compare the sufferings of life in any way. This is a man locked up in prison, heading to death. The sufferings of this life cannot compare to the glory. They're not worthy. Don't bow down to them. Don't give knee to them. Don't give honor to them in your life. Don't say, okay, you're greater than the glory that is in me. Because I'm telling you, according to the book of Hebrews 13, 8, greater is he that is in us. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. Whatever adversary there is, let's not give him the honor of seeing us bow our knee to some suffering and difficulty of life. Ephesians 3.20 says, God is able to do exceeding abundantly. Now here it is. Exceeding abundantly above everything you could ask or think. Oh, pastor, I believe that. I believe he is. Oh, I believe it. Well, then you got to read the rest of that verse. According to the power that is at work within you. There is a greater power that you're not acknowledging in your life today. And that power is the power of the God that is in you. The ability of the God that resident, is resident in your life as a follower of Christ. This guy, Paul. Oh, I don't think the sufferings of life are worth comparing with the glory that God is revealing. What did he go through? In prison multiple times. Five times he endured 40 lashes. Three times beaten with rods. He was stoned, not for medicinal purposes. He was shipwrecked. He spent a night in the sea. He was betrayed. He was beaten. He was left for dead. And yet he turns and says, present suffering is not worth comparing to the glory. Listen to this out of uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 3. This is so awesome. I don't know about you, but I'm preaching myself happy today. I needed this service today. He said in verse 3, this is out of the Phillips translation, As far as we're concerned, we don't wish to stand in anyone's way, nor do we wish to bring discredit on the ministry God has given us. Indeed, we want to prove ourselves genuine ministers of God. Whatever we have to go through, patient endurance of troubles, or even disasters, being flogged or imprisoned, being mobbed, having to work like slaves, having to go without food or sleep, all this we want to meet with sincerity, with insight and patience, by sheer kindness in the Holy Spirit. See, there it is, the thing that is in you. What is in you? Oh, right there it is, the sheer kindness of the Holy Spirit. The patience, the insight, the genuine love, speaking the plain truth and living by the power of God. Here's what he says. Our sole defense, our only weapon is a life of integrity. Whether we meet honor or dishonor, praise or blame, we are called imposters. We must be true. We're called nobodies, but we've got to be in the public eye. We're never far from death, yet here we are alive. I love this next line. Always going through it, yet never going under. We know sorrow, yet our joy is inextinguishable. We have nothing to bless ourselves with, yet we bless many others with true riches. We're penniless, and yet in reality, we have everything worth having. Wow. Yeah, what's he saying? Look, focus on what you've got, not what you don't have. 
Focus on what is in your possession, a relationship with the God of heaven. Hallelujah. Man, we got to get our mind in the right place. The Spirit will help us. Romans 8, 26 says the Spirit will help us in our weaknesses. He'll help us when we're tired, when we're weary. I'm going to finish up with this. I want you to turn uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and uh, we're going to wrap up here in just a minute. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I've read this verse so many times, you know, and, and uh, asked God for help. Verse 13. He says, look, there's no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able You say, well, Pastor, I'm telling you right now, I'm being tempted beyond what I'm able to deal with. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. Now watch what he does. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape. Everybody say the way of escape. That you may be able to bear it. So here's the thing. It's not death because you still got to deal with it. So that's not the way of escape. Getting rid of it isn't the way of escape because you still got to deal with it because it's right there. It says you got to deal with it. What is the way of the escape for God's people? And I believe if you'll turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4, we'll look at the way of escape. I'll give it to you and then we'll finish this morning. Hebrews chapter 4. Hot off the presses this morning. Hebrews 4, and I want you to look at verse 15. Man, this is so good. This would make a Baptist shout. Wait. This is so good. This will make a Presbyterian shout. Wait, wait. This is so good. This will make a Catholic shout. There you go. (laughs) All right. Verse 15. You and I do not have a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Okay? Our weaknesses is what it says in the actual, in the actual Greek language. Who cannot, who cannot be touched. He's talking about Jesus here. With the feeling of our weaknesses, our infirmities, our tiredness, our despair. He was in all points tempted like as we are, yet he never sinned. But, verse 16, is where it brings it all together. Let us therefore, because of all that, right? Look, you got all this now. This is available. So he says, let us therefore come boldly, confidently into the throne of grace that we could get and obtain mercy and find the grace to help us in our time of need. You know, when Jesus was facing temptation, I told you I was going to stop, but this will be my second closing. When Jesus faced temptation in the garden, what was his answer to temptation? The way of escape. He turned to the Father and he said, Lord, I don't want to go through, Father, I don't want to go through this. 
but not my will, but yours be done. And what happened? That wasn't it. So he didn't get up with sheer determination and say, okay, I can do it. He was ministered to by God, the Father. Strength came to him. Angels ministered to him. See, the believer, this is one of the things that we have to recognize about what prayer does for you and I. Prayer isn't just us making a bunch of requests to God about give me a car, give me a house, give me a job, give me a whatever. Prayer is us going into the throne of grace, the throne, because you have access. You say, well, I don't know, Pastor. I mean, you know, that's God. He said, come confidently. Why? Because the one sitting on the throne loves you. Me? Yeah, he loves you. He died for you. So he says, come boldly. Come confidently to the throne of grace that you could obtain mercy and grace in your time of need. Don't run to the media to find solace. Don't look to anything else to give you peace. Your pastor can't give you the peace that you need. Your church cannot give you the peace that you need. We don't have it to give. But there is one who sits upon the throne of grace and mercy, who when you come and you ask, he gives freely to all. Jesus said, come to me all who are heavy. And if you're burdened down, look, he said, I will give you, I will help you, I will be with you. If you've come this morning and you're struggling and you're frustrated and you're angry and all those things that can hit our lives, the only response that we can have is to come to the throne of grace. God calls you to himself. Don't stay away from him. He's not saying, well, look, you're there. You got to deal with it. This is your mess. Man, I'm glad God didn't say that. God says, come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden, I'm going to give you some rest. I'm going to give you some peace. Do you need mercy? Do you need grace? See, this is what Paul did. I, I, like I said, here's my third closing. This is it, I promise. God, take this away. Take it away. You know, look, there, there's nothing, you know, I, I, I know someone one time, they, they, and, and this is how the mentality of mankind could be. Well, I asked God to take away you know, my sexual sin. I asked him. I asked him several times, and he didn't take it away, so it must be okay. Huh? God doesn't take away your sexual sin. God gives you the grace and mercy to overcome it in your life. So here's Paul standing before the Father, and he's like, I can't deal another day with this nonsense I'm dealing with in my life. I'm so frustrated. I'm so tired, Father. I can't do it anymore. And the father, what's his response while he's telling him? Son, I'll take it all away. I'm like Calgon. I'll take you away. You got to be a little older to remember that. No. What's he say? Son, my grace is sufficient for you. Now, we've heard that preached all over the map. Like, well, what he said is you'll just have to continue to deal with it and it will never go away. That isn't what he said at all. He said, son, my grace is sufficient for you. 
For in your weakness, in your weakness, my power is perfected. So Paul said, here's how he came out. This is how you got to leave here today. Paul comes out of prayer and he says, well, if that's the case, then I'm going to be all right with what's going on right now. I'll glory in this problem because I know that when I'm weak, I'm coming out of this better than I was before I went in it. I'm coming out stronger than I was before. I'm going to be more loving than I ever was before. I'm going to know the power of the Holy Spirit in my life greater than I ever have before. Here's how I kind of like in our vernacular today he said it. Bring it on, devil, I'm ready. Because there's something greater in here, in us, the glory that's going to be revealed in this circumstance in my life, the glory that will be revealed in me. Hallelujah. You know, this guy right here, he battled with alcoholism a lot of his life. Bad, right? Real bad. Now, he could have asked God to take that alcoholism away, and I'm sure he did. Probably why he was throwing up in a toilet on many nights. Take it away, God. Take it away. I don't want to be this way. But here's what he needed, and here's what he got. The grace and the mercy to look that alcoholic devil in the face and say, No more will you control my life. No more will I need this by. Isn't that the truth? No more will I need this in my life to control, to wreck my family, to wreck my life. I won't need this anymore. You have no more authority over me. See, that's the glory that is in him, that came out of him. Look, he could have run back to it, and I'm sure he's been tempted before, but the response back is, Father, you give me the strength. Me the strength. Your grace and your mercy. Are you struggling today? If you are, there's only one place to go. And that's to the throne of grace. Everybody stand with me this morning. Now listen, uh, uh, Chuck, could you come play, please? Something, something that's altar-worthy, you know. <laughs> Not just as I am, but something like that, you know. Because here, here's, here's how, what I want to do this morning. Look, I want you to come to this altar today not about the government, not about COVID, not about the economy. I want you to come to the altar today about you. I want you to come to the altar today and say, God, you see what's going on, and I need help. I need strength. I need grace, and I need your mercy. And look, I don't want you to leave this place. Don't go. You know, I feel... In the spirit, I mean, I felt this, this spirit, this dread that tries to get on us. That's the adversary. That's not God. The weakness that it creates. It's time to turn it around. It's time to turn it around. And I felt like this morning that, look, if we would give this call, that there would be many of you that would come. So I'm just going to say, if you want to come right now, I want you to do it right now. Come on. whole bunch of you here. Just come. And I want you to kneel down. 
before God, and I want you to be sincere and honest with the Lord today. If you're struggling, this is your opportunity to say, Lord, I need help. If anxiety is trying to grip you, look, man, this is the place right now. This is the time. Whether it's about COVID, your job, your economy, your future, 2021, what's going to happen in the elections. Look, I don't care what, all, all that stuff, let's put it all in one basket right now and just say, God, I need grace. This stuff is wearing me out. I need your grace and mercy. I'm in a time of need. If you feel today that you are in a time of need, I want you to come. There's lots of room. Just gather around here in this front part. We're going to worship this morning, and we're going to praise him. And look, I just don't feel in a rush. It's, it's early. Hallelujah. It's early. There's help here today. There's peace here today. There's strength in the name of the Lord. There's strength. God, we need you. God, I need you. God, I need you. And your glory revealed in us, in me, today. Hallelujah. Go ahead, Charlie. Gary. Yes, Lord. Jesus, I bow before your feet, Lord Jesus. You are my king. Jesus, I 